And after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there it was, as it were a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. And the second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle, in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the, is the Lord, Lord God, God Almighty, Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went back and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, 
and all that is in them, saying, To To him him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And Lord, that's the reality that is. You are amazing, you are stunning, and you are on the throne, and you are in control, and that is you. Lord, I would pray, would you help us to grab more of you this morning? More of you, Lord, we need to see more of you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Wow, so grateful for the reading of God's word. And by the way, may I remind us, Revelation says that we'll be blessed in the reading of this book. And uh, I already am. Quick preparation review tour. We spent three Sundays together preparing to enter into what I've kind of been calling the land of Revelation, the book of Revelation. And then um, we loaded the bus and we uh, spent one Sunday heading out of the loading zone of chapter one and we drove by chapters two and three all in one day's journey looking at the seven local churches of Revelation two and three. And then last Sunday, was our first bus stop, and we uh, stopped the bus, and the tour got out, and uh, we stopped at really what is, uh, boy, I'm just going to tell you as your tour guide, there is not a more stunning sight than the sight you are beholding right now on this first tour stop. Uh, We are literally in the absolutely stunning place of the throne room of heaven And I want for you to know that the place that we are at right now is of absolute importance to understanding the rest of this tour. I want to say that again. If you do not understand what is being laid out in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, the coming chapters of Revelation at times will confuse you and at times frustrate you. You have to root everything back to chapters four and five. And in those times when you go, I don't get this, I don't like this, come back to chapter four and five. And it grounds us in the reality of what's going on in heaven. Because what we see in heaven is what really is. By the way, here at uh, this first stopping point, I want to remind us, do not get stuck in the minutia of all the details of what you see and what is being described here for us in these two chapters. Don't get lost in them. Stay on the big purpose of it because, as I said, chapters four and five are critical to the rest of the tour that we're about to go on. So chapters four and five are foundational to all the coming chapters. Chapter four last Sunday was about behold the Father. Behold the Father, the one that is on the throne. Today, chapter 5 is all about beholding the Son. Behold the lion-like lamb. This is a cool chapter. We're in Revelation 5. If you haven't turned there already, please do so. If you didn't have a Bible, forgot yours today. Uh, We're big about the Bible around here, but grab one of those in the seat. I think we're on page 1030 towards the end of the Bible. Uh, Chapter 5, let me begin with verse 1. Then I, John, saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll scroll written within and written on the back, a scroll sealed with seven seals. Let's talk about this just for a minute. John says, then I saw. It's important to pick up little things like this because sometimes in in our book where we have chapter breaks, it, it, it breaks it up mentally for us, but it's continuing on. Four and five are all together. John did not put chapter marks in there, and, and it's a continuing of the vision here, and he says, then I saw, the narrative continues, the chronology of the events, by the way, are important. Watch for these kinds of things. It's moving along. In other words, chapter five is connected to chapter four. 
Then I saw, and John refers back to really what is chapter 4, to him who was seated on the throne. What we saw in chapter 4 was John coming in and beholding this stunning scene holistically of the throne room of heaven. You remember that? And he talks about how, uh, as you heard read uh, here, there's, it's like he, he comes into the throne room and there's like jasper and carnelian light that's just whew, all shooting out. And there's an emerald rainbow that's, that, that's not probably like an arc like we see or I saw her actually earlier this week. Some of you following on tweet, I, Twitter, I had a picture coming into the office with a rainbow, super cool. And uh, by the way, the end of the day, it was like the apocalypse with the clouds. But it, it was probably this emerald rainbow. The grammar is probably surrounding a full circle around the throne. And John's saying these lights are just shooting and everything going. And then he points out that these, these four living ones that are there that, that you heard read about. And there they are. They're leading in worship 24-7. Every moment of every day, they have something new that is being brought to their attention to remember that the Lord is set apart, set apart, set apart from anyone and anything else. And then there's the 24 presbyteros, whoever they are. The 24 elders, they're on thrones all circling around. And and then it tells how there's lightning and thunder coming out of the throne because of the Father on the throne. And rumbling, I mean, you can just see that John's feeling all of this and seeing and beholding all of this. And he hears the holy, holy, holy words being stated and declared. And then he talks about how every so often there's like an additional praise given to the Father by the four living ones and the 24 presbyteros step off of their thrones, down onto their knees. They take off their Stephanus crowns, their victory crowns, and lay their victory before the one that is the victor of all victories. Worthy is the eternal Father, they declare as they lay their crowns. What a cool sight. And the Father is the one in the center of it all. God the Father is the one that all of this is pointed to and directed to. He is the one that all of this is about. And by the way, he's sitting on the throne. He's not sleeping on it. He's not slumbering on it. He's not snoozing on it. He's sitting on it. He's sovereignly reigning as one who is on the throne. And then here, in the beginning of chapter 5, then John saw. It's like in all of this grandness, he all of a sudden like comes right down to this one little thing that's going on here in verse 1. In the Father's right hand is a scroll. And by the way, the idea of the grammar is most likely that there's this scroll that's sitting there, and it's most likely the idea in an open hand. In other words, the father's not clutching onto it like it's his, and no one touch it, or you're going to have to fight for it. Or he's not holding it behind his back, or he's not hanging on it like this. It's just like sitting there in his open hand as he sits on the throne. It's really there for the taking. But there's a problem. Who can take it? But the scroll. The scroll, John says, is writing on both sides of it. Now, scrolls were very common in that day. And there were scrolls with seals. We're not even going to get into what kind of scroll it is because who cares? It's a scroll. Okay? And it has seven seals. And there's writing. And what's really interesting about it, he says there's writing on the inside and the outside. But why does he, how does he know what's on the inside? Because of the fact that there's writing on the outside. And normally a scroll in that day would be made with papyra where it's all laid out and attached together. And the part that you write on the inside is the smooth part where your number two pencil could easily run through uh, and mark down. And, and yet if you filled it all up and you needed more space on the scroll, then you would write on the backside and the backside was generally more bumpy and harder to write on and not the preferable side to write on. So generally scrolls were written on the inside, but sometimes it went over to the outside. What's being said here? There's a lot of content in this scroll. There's a lot of information in this scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. 
These kind of scrolls were not uncommon in that day. But it's a sealed scroll laying open in the Father's hand with jasper, carnelian, and ember, uh, emerald rainbow, and lightning and thunder, and holy, 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 and Stefan is coming down. And I mean, do you got to see? This is just like really rocking awesome. This is such a cool setting on what's taking place. And yet, it's all chapter five, it's all coming down to a scroll. Scroll that's rolled, sitting in the Father's open hand. And then verse 2, and I saw a mighty angel. I wonder if it's Michael or if it's Gabriel. Who cares? It's a mighty angel. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, by the way. You see, it's like everything is turning into this, pointing into this scroll. And, and this mighty angel knows what John sees. It's kind of like the spotlight has moved. And it's now on the open hand. And, and this mighty angel, whoever it is, in a loud voice says, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And then they go on this mental scavenger hunt. An amazing race of the mind. And no one in heaven. And no one on earth. And no one under the earth was worthy, able to open the scroll and to look into it. This is so cool. No one in heaven was found. By the way, that means not the four living ones, not the 24 presbyteros, not any of the angels, including not Michael, not Gabriel. It was no great Old Testament person. Not Abraham or Sarah, not Adam or Eve. Not Moses, not David, not Joshua, none of them. None of them were worthy, able to be able to take the scroll and open it. No one in heaven was found. By the way, at this point in time, not Barnabas, not the apostle Paul, who had been martyred by this time, are none of the martyred saints, no one in heaven. Secondly, no one on earth. By the way, that meant John. That also meant none of the people in the seven local churches or the the, the people that have been scattered out of Jerusalem. Uh, That also means no one on earth. We could even say that means not you or I. No one on earth. And then no one under the earth. I think this is actually alluding to the idea of uh, fallen angels, the abyss. Uh, Fallen angels are unredeemed. I mean, it's like check the whole universe out, and there's no one who's able to be able to go and open this scroll. No one. No one can take it. No one can open it. No one's worthy to read it. And in this, you may be thinking, well... Who cares? Well, actually, look at this. John does. Watch this. Verse 4. And because there was no one in heaven, no one on earth, and no one under the earth to open the scroll, I began to weep loudly. The Greek word there, it's the loudest kind of weeping and wailing word that is used. It's the same word that is used of describing when Peter, after his third betrayal of Christ, weeped. I mean, it's like deep, it's just not like, (laughs) this is deep and and heavy. And I began to weep loudly. I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. It's interesting. Why is John weeping? John is weeping because he knows something. And, And what he knows is he knows that this scroll is directly tied to what's going to be happening. Do you remember over in chapter 4, I believe it's verse 1, John was said, come up here and I will show you what will take place. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and everything after this in this vision is related to what's going to be taking place, and John knows that. And by the way, there hasn't been a week between chapter 4 and chapter 5 for John. This has just all moved into one. And in all this, he knows that the scroll that is sitting on in the Father's right hand, that this has to do about what's coming ahead. 
And John begins to weep. Why would he weep like that? Well, one, you got to remember his life. Uh, By the way, at the time of this, in John's own life on earth, John had been exiled to Patmos on account of the word. I mean, John, basically, that's what they did to people when they were just like, we don't have jail system for you. We just don't, we don't want to kill you right now. We just want you out of here. And so they ship him out to this island. Just leave us alone, John. John's life is in exile and persecution. By the way, at this point in time in 95, 96 AD, Jerusalem had been destroyed And the temple had been decimated. And Israel was scattered. And oh, by the way, if you would have gone back at the time that John is going through this, if you would have pulled out a Rand McNally map, I'm going old, I'm a gray hair, okay? If you would have pulled out a map or you would have Googled a map, there was no Israel on the map that that day. And, And John's People are gone. John's nation has been removed from the earth and the temple has been flattened. And the seven churches, they're experiencing persecution. And just John in light of life is like, Lord, listen, you have to bring your vindication. You have to. Lord, if you don't bring what's in the scroll, if there's no one who can open the scroll, everything that you have promised that would be coming is not going to come, and I can't handle that. Well, Lord God, don't, don't bring your vindication just to, make, to vindicate me. Bring, bring your judgment to, to, to vindicate you. And he weeps. John gets it. John understands why this is so important. By the way, before we go on, I just might say, might you be in that place today? We're just in this place where it's like, have you watched the news? Or maybe just even in your own life. It's like all is just going down the tanker. It's just getting worse and worse. Maybe in your own life, there's just lost hope and dashed dreams, and it's like, where's the justice? Maybe you're discouraged. The, the fact here is, is John has a limited perspective. John can only see five or six feet off the ground. And if the Lord isn't going to make right all the wrong, I can't handle this anymore. It's just too hard. Lord, if there's nobody to open that seal, I'm losing hope. But here's the cool thing. John only has limited perspective like you and I. And so one of these presbyteros dudes steps up to the table. Hey, John. That's kind of in the Greek, verse (laughs) 6. John, weep no more. Well, give me a reason. Behold the lamb. I'm sorry. Behold the lion. Behold the lion, John. I mean, how cool is that, by the way? Right there at that moment, that whole picture, when John's like, I can't handle this anymore. This is just too much. I just can't bear this anymore. And the presbyteros dude, he's just like, a lion's coming. I like lions. Lions roar. Lions conquer. Lions are cool. And isn't it in those times where you're like, can't handle this anymore? You're like, don't you want a lion? I want a lion as my buddy is what I want. And I want him to come in in his majesty and in his beauty and in his power. And I want him just to take over and make what right what is wrong. 
Weep no more, John. Behold the lion. But this is a specific lion. This is a lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, it says. The tribe of Judah. It comes out of Genesis 49, 9 and 10. Jacob bestowing his final blessings on his sons. And uh, when he comes to uh, Judah, he, he foresees uh, that uh, uh, there will be like a lion, a powerful, strong, lion-like royal ruling dynasty coming out of Judah's lineage. And, and the elder is like, behold that one. Listen, John knew exactly what he meant when he meant, said that term. He didn't have to have it explained like we do in our day and age living in America. He knew exactly from the Old Testament what was going on. He also, in this, he knew the root of David thing. This is God's selection of, of David as king in place of the Benjamite Saul to set the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 11 of a, of a fresh root from the, the stump of David's father, Jesse, to be the source of blessing on God's people. The lion, the tribe of Judah, the strong, conquering one that would come in, but also from the root of David that would bring blessing upon God's people. Cool imagery. There is a mighty lion king. And he's coming. And he will reign. Be assured. And all of this conversation is coming back saying that this lion one is worthy to take the scroll. And not only take the scroll, but to break its seals and to open it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no, whole, no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, David has conquered. By the way, one of the things I missed in that with the whole uh, seven churches thing, the word is Nikeo. We get the word Nike from it. Every time you look at your Nike shirt, this is one, somewhere the logo. Wherever it hits, remember, Revelation 2 and 3, we're to be conquerors in Christ. Wear the shoes with a whole new meaning. <laughs> he is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, by the way, aren't you just like at this point, like it's like a lamb. I want just like this. Roar! This is like, where's the WWF gladiator entrance? And then look at it. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. What's with a lamb? I want a lion. By the way, in the Greek, the word that is used here for lamb, there's different words for lamb. This is the littlest, youngest lamb. This is like a baby lamb. This is like a year old lamb word. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Between the throne and the four living ones and the 24 presbyteros, John doesn't see a lion. John sees a lamb. A lamb. But, but what's unique about this is this is a lamb that had been slain. Obviously, there were somehow marks on this lamb that, that was showing that it had been slain in some, but, but it was standing Slain lambs don't stand. Slain lambs lay flat. This one came back to life. Oh, there's such cool apocalyptic terminology here. And a picture of this being a, a slain lamb standing. Like, like, what do we mean by that? Where does that whole idea come from? Well, let me take you on just a quick little journey. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve's sin. God confronts Adam and Eve with it. And what does the Lord do for Adam and Eve's sin? He slays an animal and he puts the covering of the animal to cover their sin. Boy, it sounds like a slain animal from the very first sin situation. Then Genesis 8, Noah, after the flood and God's both mercy and justice laid out, the whole rainbow thing, and after that God says, slay an animal. We see a shadow here of a slain animal reality. 
Then in Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, the Lord tells Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. And Abraham in faith, uh, Hebrews believing that the Lord will raise him from the dead, God's going to take care of it. I just need to do what the Lord says. And he goes, and there it is all of a sudden. He's about to slay his son on the altar when all of a sudden an angel stops him. And all of a sudden, dink is this. There's, in the Hebrew terminology, a lamb ram provided that can be slain and would be the sacrifice in the place. And then Exodus 12, the 10th plague, the God's 10th judgment on Egypt, where it's talking about slay a young one-year-old lamb, male lamb. And then take the blood and paint it over the door frames of your houses and, and then stay in your house under that covering on the door frame as the angel of death passes over and whoever is not under the covering of the blood, judgment comes. But those who in faith, can you imagine that night remaining under that when you're hearing death cries and you're like in the house and you're like, oh Lord, I pray this works. That's faith. That's faith in the blood. The blood has been applied to that soul. And then John 1.29. By the way, John, John, John's the guy who's here. And John writes in the very first chapter of John about another John, John the baptizer. And in the opening of that gospel, John the baptizer, when he first sees this Jesus of Nazareth walking, he goes, behold the Lamb of God. You see this carrying all the way through? And then, by the way, in Mark 14, when we were there uh, through, through the, the crucifixion time, it's the week of the crucifixion. The Passover lamb is sacrificed that week. And they celebrated the Passover time with his disciples. Oh, but it didn't end there because Mark 15. The Passover lamb is sacrificed on the cross. But that Passover lamb that was, gave up his life to die in our place, shedding his blood, didn't stay down. He rose from the dead, and the slain lamb stands. And that's the thing here. Revelation, more than any other book of the Bible, almost all of the other uses of the term Lamb of God, there's almost as many uses of the term Lamb of God in the book of Revelation as in the entire rest of the Bible. The theme carries on through. And John says he saw a lamb. Now get this, he's not seeing like this, <laughs> however a lamb paws. Okay, he's not seeing that. This is apocalyptic terminology. But in essence, he is seeing that. He's seeing a lamb that's standing as though it had been slain uh, quickly with seven horns. It's this idea of uh, horns were, were used in war. There were power in the Old Testament. This is like seven, always perf perfection. It's like this is the perfect warrior. Perfect strength, perfect courage, perfect might. This is not some little sissy lamb. And also with that seven eyes, and it describes more here who this is, that, um, which are the seven spirits of God, which is the Holy Spirit. By the way, I, I just think there's, in all this, I think there's a whole allusion to the Son and the power of the Father, and also in combination with the outpouring work of the Spirit. This is a trinity at work, and He is the redeeming one. The lamb is. The lamb is. The whole focus of the throne room has shifted three times now. First, it is all on the Father on the throne. Then it moves to the scroll. And now it moves to the lion-like lamb. And it all stays right there on the lion-like lamb. Verse 7. And he went... And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. How cool. By the way, again, remember, most likely the idea, the father's hand is open. The father's not like, no, don't touch. No, 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 no. 
No, there is one who's worthy. And at the time, he will take it. He is worthy and he will take it right out and the Father will allow it to be taken out because he is the one who is worthy to take it. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, by the way, everything else flows out of him taking the scroll off this week. Here, watch this. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, the presbyteros, fell down before the lamb. Do you even see that shift? It's all been in chapter 4 to the Father. And now it's like he takes it out and they all fall down to the Lamb. <laughs> Clear deity of Jesus. And each are holding a harp. There's a worship thing going on. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. By the way, I don't think this is the idea of the, the God, please make today go really well kind of prayer. I think this actually has more to do, we'll touch next Sunday, but over in chapter 6, verse 10, when the martyrs cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Those kinds of prayers. By the way, could I just toss this in? Might we be a church and a people that is praying for the Lord to come? For the Lord to bring righteousness. And the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. I want to pause there. It's really interesting. You look even in the English uh, through these things. There, there are five kind of declarations that are made, two in chapter four, three here we are about to read on. Uh, all the prior to in chapter four, they're not singing these, they are saying these. The word is legao, the speaking, it's saying these. And those two, you can see that. Look over at chapter four, verse eight, uh, to say holy, holy, holy. And then over in verse, right, end of verse 10, saying. Then you look at verse 12 in chapter five, saying with a loud voice. And then 13, saying. And then here it says, they sang a new song, saying. Now, were they all singing all of these? I bring all this up because sometimes it just, irritates the life out of me, just to be frank with you, how we take some of these scenes and kill forests, talking about how this should be some form of function of liturgy within our own churches. This is heaven, folks. And there's a new song in heaven. There's a new thing that's going on there. And here, this is this song. Somehow, this one was uniquely different from the others because the four others use a different saying word. This one adds in this whole singing thing, and it's a new song. I don't want to make a deal out of this. I don't want to grab something and take it too far, but I do want to say this, how interesting it is in Scripture, the terminology of to make a new song. It's over and over again. I'm just going to grab out of Psalms. Psalm 33, 3 says, sing to him a new song. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. Psalm 96, 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 98, 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Psalm 144, 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Psalm 149, 1, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. I like the old songs. Fantastic. Fantastic. There are some fantastic old songs that in their day, they were a new song. Do you know that? The old songs were a new song and the people who had the old song saw it as a new song and they didn't like that style either because they liked the old song, which was a new song. Oh, I'm not going to go to there. <laughs> but I do want to say this. There was never a perfect time of form of worship. Never. There's never been a perfect church. There's never been a perfect style of worship. Far too often people think, well, in the first century they had it. No, no, no. In the 1700s with Amazing Grace, they had it there. No, no, the monks had it. No, no, the Puritans, they, they really got it. No, I liked it when I grew up. No, I like this style. I guess I am going there, aren't I? <laughs> Let me say this. I just want to say this as a church. I do not want to be a mad about the old songs church. The old songs are fantastic. 
But there is also a call, and we hold it very near and dear to us as a church, that there is to be a new song. New songs of generations fitting with the four living ones that fall before the throne who are giving worship, now repeating because of old things just done, but because of brand new things happening all the time. And that's why we want to be a new song people is what I want to put out. Let's be new song people. All the time the Lord is at work and we're declaring that and we're singing that. Let's be that. And they'll keep moving on. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying. I can't sing it. Here we go. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood. Do you, see, do you see the focus here? This is redemption work. The son, the lion-like lamb, is worthy because of his redemption work. For you were slain, and by your, your blood you ransomed people, or us, depending upon the textual variant. I'm not going there. Ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. A lot of things I could say. I will say this, though. Um, it's not all people. A people... Out of all the nations, uh, and, but God is going to be drawing people to him. And also notice that it's going to be developing a kingdom and priests who are God with direct access to him. How cool is that? And I will just note this because I think it has implications for later on in our study. And they shall reign on the earth. Tag that away. That's an interesting statement. They shall reign on the earth. Another day. They sang a new song, then verse 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, number of myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands. Don't get out your calculator and multiply. The point is, oozles of people, of, of, of angels, sang with a loud voice. More are coming in. You see how this is just moving in succession here. He takes the scroll and all of a sudden this declaration is made. And then after that declaration is myriads and myriads of angels and the elders enter in. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. Again, the redemptive focus. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven attributes. Worthy are you. By the way, they don't do it uh, in, in a quiet uh, note. They're not just saying it in their heads. They're, they're, they're saying it loud. Like, like not, not just embarrassed about it. Like, I can't contain myself in it. Uh, just that kind of way. Declaring it out. And then verse 13, it doesn't end. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. By the way, I, I think, and I say it that way as your tour guide, I think this is actually the entire universe making this declaration. And by the way, I think this is even including demons and the unredeemed making a declaration. Know this, I'm not saying this is a declaration for their redemption, I'm saying they're stating a fact. Well, Doug, how could that be? Well, here's a couple reasons. Because Philippians 2.10 says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and declare his name. Also, by the way, do you remember when we went through the Mark study? In Mark chapter 1, there was a declaration by demons saying, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Holy One of God. See, they know it. They can even say it. Then in Mark 5, the demon said, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? They can state the facts. But there is no redeeming work that's been done. 
And this is not like some time where these will have a second chance in the afterlife to become redeemed again. Listen, it just builds in all of this. The lion lamb takes the scroll and and then and then one more. And the four living creatures seal it and say, Amen! It's kind of the, the equivalent of, yes, yes, that's what we're talking about with these beasts that I want on my football team. And then the elders fell down at a special moment of worship, of declaration by the four living creatures, four living ones. And they lay their victory crowns, they fall down, and they worship the sun. Mm. Last Sunday, I made the statement, what we see is not all there is, and we need to see what really is. Friends? This is what really is. This is what really is. So what is really is? Well, number one, the Father really is. The Father really is. The Father is really seated on the throne and ruling. In the chaos of all that we see today, he is moving all things somewhere. It looks Like sin has won, but it is not. The Father is moving all things right on schedule, right on time. He is seated there, and by the way, his left hand is not nervous. He's in full control. The Father really is. Secondly, the Son really is. The Son really is the lion-like lamb that was slain. He is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. He is the Redeemer one. He is the only Redeemer. And as Christ is the only hope for opening the scroll and carrying out its contents, Christ is the only hope for restoring your and my soul. He's the only one. And with that, I just ask, I'm not asking, do you know about the lamb that has been slain in the shed blood? I'm not asking that. I'm not even asking, do you go to church? I'm asking, have you taken the blood of the slain perfect lamb and painted it over the door frames of your soul and hanging there? Have you been painted by the blood? Have you come to a point in time where you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior? I I think I'm there. No, I think is not a good place to be. You can know. And if you're not sure, come and talk. You need to know. The Bible says you can know. The Father really is. The Son really is. By the way, all of heaven really is. This whole scene of this glory and this worthiness going on of the Father and the Son. It's for real, you guys. John was just not on a hot day and he ate a wrong kind of plant. Okay? This is a real deal. May I just note in this, note the worship of the heavenlies. It's full out. It's not this laid back monk, Puritan. It's full out. You see this? It's just full out. They can't contain themselves. And listen, there are times for quiet. And there are times for shouting. There are times for alone. And there are times for the myriads and the myriads. There are times for the different kinds of things. But part of it includes full out all together in this whole thing. There really is a heaven And what we see of the worship of the Father and Son really is real. And fourth, on last, I'll leave it with this. There really is a sealed scroll. There really is. And when opened, the lion-like lamb, the lion-like lamb is going to roar. He is going to 
to roar. And those in Christ, the roar of the lion like lamb gives hope. Because in all the chaos that we behold today, not only worldwide, but let me even just say, all the own chaos that we just see experiencing in our own lives. The roar is coming, and it's moving somewhere. Let's endure. Let's keep at it. It's hard. But the roar is coming. This is no computer game. And next week, my friends, we will begin to see the roar rumbling up the throat of the lion. Father, we uh, lay before you our soul. We are in need of the hope and the help of the fact of your work. We are in need of being able to see you like is told of you in Scripture. Father, we have a hard time grasping you, and you know that. Thank you for your grace, for your kindness, for your patience, for your long-suffering with every one of us and all of us. Father, thank you for the sun. Oh, my. Our our world only wants lions, but (laughs) you are the perfect lion lamb. (laughs) Oh, how you mess with our heads and yet restore our souls. There's a beautiful image to know that the lamb is the kind of central characteristic of you now, and it will be always. Your patience and your kindness, your redeeming work. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who's not sure where they're at, oh oh God, I just pray that your spirit would do a work. Draw them. Convince them to step into relationship with you. Oh Lord, we're, if you will, we are in the season of the Lamb. Oh. But as the one elder pointed out, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Lord, I believe we can hear the beginning rumbles of the roar. Wake us up. Oh, but we celebrate your grandness, Lord, because you are the lion like lamb. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Right, church? Amen.